is brighter when we understand the science behind it. Hey everyone! Hello! And welcome to Getting Brighter. The very first episode. Yes. The podcast where we shed light on the science of health, wealth and society. We're breaking down the latest research and providing you with practical tools for positive change. I'm Dr Emily Hughes, a social psychologist. And I'm soon to be Dr Marsha Remscar and my background is in health psychology. Today we decided to start the very first episode of Getting Brighter with a topic that I'm extremely passionate about. She is. It's actually um, what I research in my PhD and we're talking all about the effects of exercise for mental health. Yes, very exciting. So anyone who knows me uh, has probably heard me talk about this. And I remember when I first learned about the kind of power of exercise for mental health in my undergrad, I was just blown away. So I'm very keen to talk about this. Yes. Yeah. And you've recently been to a conference all yeah. around this, which how I, was that? I have actually just come back from an international conference on physical activity and I'm just buzzing to talk about it. I met some really incredible researchers in this area and um, people that, you know, whose work I, I read and cite a lot and it has just been incredible. Excellent. Mm. So to start off today, I think it's really important kind of for our audience just to really define what we're mm -hmm. speaking about. So um, in terms of exercise, what, what do you mean by this? Yeah. So scientists, we tend to get hung up on definitions a lot. Yes. <laughs> and so in real life, we would use terms like physical activity, exercise, sport, even fitness quite interchangeably. But in the scientific context, what we mean with physical activity is just any kind of bodily movement that is produced by our skeletal muscles. Mm -hmm. So that could include things like getting out of bed or, you know, picking something up. Uh, whereas exercise would be a subset of that activity that is done with the intention to improve fitness or health and often is done in a structured way. So that could be things like going for a run or going mm -hmm. to the gym, going to a spin class, um, can even be taking a walk. So it doesn't depend on intensity, but it is that kind of structured um, physical activity that we do in order to be healthier. Yeah. And so today we're going to be focusing on exercise in relation to mental health. Mm -hmm. um, and so we know that exercise is so good for us in terms of yeah. our physical health. Um, but what kind of effects do we see in terms of mental health? So I don't think anyone is surprised by the fact that physical health is very much improved yeah, by exercising. Exactly. Um, but in terms of mental health, it's spoken about much less, even though the science is actually quite strong here as well. Mm -hmm. And the short and sweet of it is, yes, exercise is probably the closest we get um, to a silver bullet or an all-round cure for both physical and mental health. Um, and also it really helps with longevity, which is kind of living a long, more or less healthy yeah. life. And the idea is actually really not new. So even mm -hmm. as far back as ancient Greece, um, the Greek physician Hippocrates, mm -hmm. who was kind of the <laughs> medical authority back in the day, um, actually said that walking is man's best medicine. Mm -hmm. And leaving aside the um, the note to Hippocrates that we've since moved on to using more inclusive language. Yes, we have. Yeah, he was actually onto something. Yeah. Um, but of course, the science is always more nuanced because saying exercise is very broad and that can take a number of different forms. And equally saying mental health 
is a very broad term that can mean a number of different things. So we always need to look at the science a bit more closely. Yeah, definitely. And so at the start there, you mentioned the word cure. So mm -hmm. this idea of exercise being, you know, a cure for some of these conditions. Mm -hmm. um, so perhaps an interesting place to start would be talking about this in terms of treatment. So using exercise as a treatment for these mm -hmm. conditions. Um, what does the evidence say there? Yes, so there is a lot of evidence in this area. And there was actually a really exciting and a really neat piece of work mm. published earlier this year. It was done by a team at the University of Southern Australia. And I actually met some of them at the conference. Oh, exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> um, and what this piece of work was, was an overview of systematic reviews and a meta-analysis. Mm. Now that's a mouthful. Yeah. So let's break it down. In science, we have essentially got levels of evidence that can all tell us different things. Yeah. The lowest level of that evidence would be a single study. So for example, I want to look at whether 30 minutes of running three times a week improves symptoms of depression on a particular depression questionnaire. Yeah. I do that study, I publish it. We find out something about the effect of running three times a week on depression. Yeah. Great. The next level up would then be a systematic review where there's been a lot of those single studies done. And then someone says, let's collate all of those studies together and look at what the research in this area broadly says. So do the studies agree with each other? Because mm -hmm. obviously there will be individual variation in what people have studied and also the results they found. And then a further level up would be an overview of systematic reviews and possibly a meta-analysis. Mm -hmm. And that would be where there's been so much work done in the area, there's actually multiple systematic reviews. Yeah. So really a lot of evidence. And what this particular team did was they reviewed all of the systematic reviews. Um, so we looked at all of that research altogether. And then they also went back to all of those single studies, pulled all of the data together yeah. from over 1000 studies that together had over 120,000 people. That's a lot of participants. A lot of data. Yeah. <laughs> that is so much data. They analysed that all together to answer the question, does exercise reduce symptoms of depression? Mm. And what they found was that yes, consistently and with meaningful um, effects, exercise does reduce symptoms of depression. And they found a similar thing for reducing symptoms of anxiety and also reducing symptoms of stress or distress. Mm. Now, what's great about this review, um, what was really important and was actually talked about in the media a lot as well, was that when we look at the effect sizes they found, so that would be a measure of how meaningful those effects are in real life. Yeah. The review found that exercise can be as much as one and a half times as effective as antidepressants or psychological therapy, which are currently used as frontline treatment for depression. So that is a really, really important and impactful finding. Yeah, definitely. Those are really, really strong findings. And so we see that in terms of depression. Um, but is the evidence just as strong for other mental health conditions, would you say? Yes. So that review looked at um, a number of conditions, starting with depression, where there is the most evidence. Mm -hmm. But they also found um, the similar effects for reducing anxiety. And there's also other research showing that anxiety can be reduced. And this was true of a number of different types of activity. So both for aerobic exercise, which would be things that get you out of breath, that get your heart pumping, mm -hmm. or resistance training, which is more to do with body weight or weights. So what we think of is kind of going to the gym. Um, so yes, there are effects on anxiety as well, 
very much in the direction of people feel better and less anxious after exercising. Yeah. Not only is there evidence for depression and anxiety, exercise actually improves mood really well too. And mood would be that more kind of in the moment sense of how happy do you feel right now? How sad, how anxious do you feel right now? And of course, that's relevant to the conversation about mental health because over time, mood accumulates into yeah. those kind of longer term states that then do make up your general mental health. Yeah. Okay. So in summary, then we see really strong effects in terms of mm -hmm. depression, but those effects are also in the same direction for yes. other types of mental health, such yeah. as anxiety and also our broad mood. So I think that's very, much know, so. very strong and encouraging evidence. Yeah. Um, so I think another important thing to think about is, um, so that's in terms of treatment, right? Mm -hmm. So that's using mm -hmm. it as, as a treatment for these mental health conditions. But one thing that we know is that prevention is better than cure. It's always better yeah. to you know, stop these kind of conditions from onset in the first place. Um, and so would you say that exercise is also an effective means of preventing these yeah. conditions? Yeah, so <laughs> prevention being better than cure is almost my, my own personal mantra. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very passionate about work in this space. And again, we find that exercise can especially regular exercise, so kind of having a habit of exercising mm. can effectively prevent the onset of mental health conditions. So um, there was a big study done by a team at Cambridge University that looked at nearly 200,000 people and they looked at their depression symptoms and their exercise habits and then they tracked them over 15 years. And actually what they found was that people who exercised enough to meet exercise guidelines, which we'll get to in a minute, yep. were over a quarter less likely to develop depression in the next 15 years, wow. which means that there are, you know, as a preventative tool, exercise can be really powerful. What was particularly interesting about that review was that the strongest protective effects of exercise were actually for people who exercised a little bit compared to those not exercising at all. Mm. And that is to say that if you're currently someone who doesn't get around to do much exercising, even by starting to be active a little bit, you can actually get a lot of protection against things like depression or poor well-being, poor mental health. Yeah. And that's so encouraging just to know that even a little bit will have that effect for you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. There's also other evidence in the space of prevention. So we know that exercising in the long term, so as a habit, works across all of the age groups. So from children, you know, teens, adults, but also in older adults and the elderly, really across the board, um, exercise will help prevent the onset of mental health conditions. And then a study that I absolutely love that was done by a team at Harvard University, they studied over 8,000 people and they looked at their genes. So they actually got them in the lab and looked at whether they have the genes that we know are associated with developing depression, because mm -hmm. part of the risk of developing depression is genetically determined. And we can't do much about that. But what this team did was they looked at people's genetic risk for depression and their exercise habits. And then they tracked them over the next two years. And what they found was that the people who were genetically predisposed to depression, but they exercised enough to meet exercise guidelines or more, were no more likely to develop depression. Mm -hmm. So essentially, they counteracted that genetic risk through exercise. Yeah. And again, this is so encouraging. Yeah, that's amazing. Exactly. 
So in real life terms, they concluded that about 35 minutes of exercise per day essentially neutralized the genetic risk of depression on average, of course. Yeah. But it's a very kind of nice, actionable number to take away. And so far, all of the evidence that I've spoken about has been for long-term effects. So kind of if we exercise regularly over a longer period of time. But actually, and encouragingly, if you're not quite there yet, evidence shows that even a single session of exercise that can be as short as 10 to 15 minutes can improve all of what we've spoken about before. So it reduces symptoms of depression, anxiety, it improves your mood. So even a single session, as short as 10 to 15 minutes, will improve your mood and mental health. How great is that? Yeah, no, that is great. Because feasibly, if you were to get up now and exercise for the remaining yeah. duration of this podcast, <laughs> I mean, this is our first record. So, you know, it could be even less than that that you Who may knows? need to do some exercise <laughs> for. And you would see improvements on all of those outcomes that we've just spoken about there, which is brilliant. Exactly. Yeah. And you've got us for company. Exactly. <laughs> you listen to us while you're doing it. Even better. <laughs> Okay, so I think that was a really good general overview of the state of evidence that mm -hmm. we have at the moment. Um, and so this next section of the podcast is going to be called Debatable. And this is where we will be discussing some of the open questions and points of contention in the research. And I think one really interesting open question in this space is around how this evidence is being used, particularly mm -hmm. in healthcare contexts. Yeah. And so at the moment, given how effective it is, are we currently prescribing exercise perhaps in the same way that we are medication? Yes. So specific to the UK healthcare and healthcare system, exercise is currently recognised as part of the public health strategy, but to a limited extent. Mm. So exercise is listed in the NICE guidelines, which is kind of an expert body that recommends how healthcare practitioners should be treating different conditions. It's recommended in the guidelines as part of a healthy lifestyle, so more generally, and they recommend at least 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity. So that is kind of anything that is, you know, more intense than a walk. Okay, yeah. Essentially. But that is recommended as part of kind of a general healthy lifestyle that they say helps prevent cardiovascular disease, other long-term physical conditions. And they also mention benefits to mental health. Mm. So it's kind of part of that general strategy. But specifically exercise as treatment for mental health is currently used quite in a limited capacity it's yeah. only used for depression where the evidence is really very strong mm. so currently in the UK you can be referred or prescribed an exercise scheme so kind of you can be prescribed a group exercise program if you have mild forms of depression mm. and I think that's potentially a really great option yeah. irrespective of the reasoning for you know using that group setup mm -hmm. one of the things we know from a social psychological perspective is yeah. that groups are really good for health exactly um, and there's so much mounting emerging evidence in that space mm -hmm. looking at how doing activities as part of a group can be really good for belonging, really good yeah. for social connectedness. Um, and so, yeah, exercise might be great. You know, it's going to have those benefits that we've already spoken about yes. doing that as an individual, but perhaps you're just going to see additional benefit if you, or of perhaps other sorts in terms of connectivity with others, mm -hmm. if you go forth and do that as a group, exactly. which is great. Love a bit of social psychology yeah, in there. We do. <laughs> um, but I do actually think this is a really interesting debate because I think it, is fundamentally different in a lot of people's heads. Should doctors be prescribing exercise? Essentially, should doctors tell people what to do mm. in the same way that they 
tell people, oh, take this pill? What, what do you think yeah. about this? What, what is your take on it's it? It's a difficult one, isn't it? And I think there's perhaps no right or wrong mm-hmm. answer in that sense. But I think one potential concern that people may have is, is around that issue of autonomy mm-hmm. and, you know, whether... Mm-hmm people should be telling others what to do in this sense. And I think one thing that it might be potentially detrimental to is things like motivation. Yeah. So if, if that, advice is coming from an external source and, and yeah. you're being told what to do almost you know mandated in some sense yeah then that might be you know you're not going to feel motivated to do that within yourself and and actually if if you're coming at it from more of a point of intrinsic motivation so this is something that I want to do because yeah. I enjoy it because it's fulfilling mm-hmm. then perhaps you're more likely to do it in the first place and getting people to exercise in the first place is what we're trying yeah. to do here and so I can see the concerns around that in terms of autonomy and and whether or not people will do that in the first place yeah exactly I mean I think in terms of evidence I would say the evidence is strong enough to Mm. warrant making exercise part of the conversation whether that be in terms of educating people absolutely um but mostly I think there's a case to be made for making exercise part of the broader public health strategy by indirectly supporting people Mm. um to be more active so that could be things like how do we design our cities do we have the infrastructure do we have any say outdoor gyms Mm. that people can access for free are exercise facilities like gyms or you know anything public are they accessible to people or are they way too expensive so they can't even access them so I do think there is a strong case where public health could be improved by making exercise more accessible and making it part of the conversation yeah. in that way. Just making it easier to have that as as a choice to exactly. engage with, you know, exactly. just setting more of a norm around it in terms of our society and the culture around yeah. it is, is you know, a very, perhaps a long-term vision, but one yeah. that I think is, you know, we should be heading towards that. Exactly, so. exactly. And some countries are already ahead mm. of the UK on this as well. And I think we can learn a lot from those places. Yeah, absolutely. There's actually also... A question around do people who would be doing the prescribing so healthcare professionals Mm. are they trained enough to recommend exercise to people and have they got the capacity yeah so at the moment in the UK in particular the NHS and the healthcare system are overburdened as is and there is research documenting GPs concerns around Am I equipped and have I got the capacity to actually prescribe exercise to someone? And there's also the flip side of it is sometimes there are patient expectations. So people almost don't see it as it being the doctor's place to tell them what to do. There's almost an expectation of if I go to the doctor, I'll get pills. Yeah. And while obviously medication is great, including medication for mental health, in many cases it is necessary and absolutely should be prescribed um, if and when appropriate. But I think that is also to be considered when we talk about all of this. Yeah. So we've just touched on motivation there. Mm -hmm. And I think for so many of us, exercise can be something that is just so hard to motivate yourself to do. And why is that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that is the, that's the big paradox here, right? That's the elephant in the room. Yeah. Particularly when we talk about exercise as a treatment for mental health mm. conditions because when you have poor mental health it's so much harder to get yourself to do exercise in the first place it's hard exactly. to do anything so it's really interesting to think about why that is the case and the thing is we evolved humans evolved to move 
but not to have to decide to move. Mm. So while our bodies need regular movement and exercise to stay healthy and to live a long, healthy life, our brains have never before had to decide and motivate ourselves to do it. It was simply a requirement to stay alive yeah. because we needed to forage for food or plow our fields or, or run from something. Exactly. <laughs> And it's only really been in the last couple of hundred years or so that our lifestyles have changed so much that we now have to seek out and structure time for exercise and movement. So, yeah, historically, exercise, as we defined at the beginning, where there is the intention to keep healthy mm. and a structure to it, just never used to be a thing. Yeah. And I think just knowing that, having that awareness is really empowering because it can help explain some of the struggle we have around it. Exactly. It, it removes some of that onus being on the individual. Exactly. And I think also it removes some of that self-blame. You know, yes. when we just don't feel like it sometimes, it perhaps isn't always the case that that's to do with us and ourselves yeah. And, yeah. and our lack of motivation, but, you know, some of these other factors as well. So Yeah, absolutely. There's actually a great book on this for anyone interested in unpicking this kind of evolutionary side of exercise a bit further. It's called Exercised and it was written by Dr. Daniel Lieberman, a fellow academic. So I would definitely recommend uh, to anyone who's interested in all of this. Okay, so having just spoken about motivation and how hard it can be to stay regularly active, um, that leads us really nicely into the final section of today, which is called Doable. And this is where we share some actionable steps for you based on the science that we have just discussed. Yeah. And so I think one really big question in this area that people might be interested in is what type of exercise is best for mental health and in what duration? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we all just want to know what does this mean for me, yeah. right? What do we do? <laughs> exactly. Just tell us. <laughs> <laughs> so the evidence is actually, while it's very consistent in that exercise is beneficial to mental health, it's almost so consistent that it's not clear cut what is best. There's almost no such thing as the best for mental health. Mm. And it really depends what specific goals you have. So in terms of if we just look at the different types of exercise, um, we have got good evidence both for aerobic exercise. So that would be cardio, things that get your blood pumping, that get you out of breath. Mm. And in aerobic exercise, there's a lot of evidence for group programs for sessions about three times a week and for programs that last up to about 12 weeks. Mm. Now, of course, this is because in research, there will always have to be an endpoint to an exercise program, whereas in real life, we'd hope to continue that. Um, but yeah, if you're into aerobic exercise, trying to do that about three times a week would be pretty great for your mental health. Then if we look at resistance training, so that would be things that you do with your body weight or um, the, where you go to the gym, there's a really, really comprehensive review on all of this that unpacks all of the different components of resistance training. So it looks at different intensities. It compares whether you use free weights or use machines. It looks at rest intervals, what selection of exercises and what order you do them in. Mm. Um, a really great review by Cavaretta and colleagues um, that we'll link in the show notes. But it basically concludes that for mental health, resistance training is best when you do it to sub-maximal intensity, mm. essentially when you don't kill yourself doing it. Yeah, which I think is a really encouraging message because it means that even if you're not maxing out and you're not, you know, trying to do those things, then it's mm -hmm. it's still going to be beneficial and perhaps even more so because of, you know, self-esteem and motivation because you're exactly. not having to set such high goals that perhaps aren't attainable for yourself. Yeah, yeah. it makes complete sense. On the whole, the science seems to converge on benefits of anything you can sustain over time. Mm. Um, because 
it makes complete sense that even the perfect exercise program won't work if you don't stick to it. Yeah. So exactly. at the end of the day, that is what matters. Yeah. And lately there's been so much more emphasis on things like gradual progress mm-hmm. um, and having this kind of freedom to choose your own activity and yeah. in whatever setting works the best for you. Um, and I think that in terms of setting and, and whereabouts we're doing our mm-hmm. exercise, one thing that is really clear is that exercising outdoors, so be that in you know green or blue spaces, is really beneficial for mood and mental health, you know, even over over and above exercising indoors. Um, And I think this finding relates to things. um, So there are really big theories within psychology more broadly, even Mm -hmm. outside of this space. Mm -hmm. So things like attention restoration theory, where just being in nature, seeing scenes of nature Mm -hmm. can be really beneficial for, you know, our mood and can really restore our well-being and our concentration. And there's been um, a lot of evidence around this. So there's a recent review of evidence on outdoors exercise. And this concluded as I've just kind of mentioned there, that exercise improves mood, reduces anxiety and depression. So Mm -hmm. all of these outcomes. But I think even more interestingly is that there's been a systematic review of studies comparing a single session of exercise indoors and in nature. Mm -hmm. And this has found that those that exercise in nature were less tense, less angry, less depressed, had more energy um, and were more likely to say that they would do that exercise again so again that's so beneficial for motivation you know you're more likely to engage in this over time perhaps in some of these settings exactly so I think yeah it's important to think about you know perhaps where you are doing that movement very true so I think a really key message there is if and when possible, you know, take your exercise outdoors, get Mm -hmm. outside into nature. If possible, viewing water, viewing plants and trees, if you can, then we know that that's going to be really beneficial for your mental health. Exactly. And if you're someone who likes their numbers, their graphs, um, then you'll want to aim for near daily activity adding up to about 150 minutes a week. So that's about two and a half hours in total if you're doing moderate activity or half of that, 75 minutes, if you're doing vigorous activity. Or actually you can do a mix of either because as we've just found out, what matters is the fact that you can do it. Mm. Then if you worry that you might be genetically predisposed to depression or even just want to be on the safe side, um, we can think back to that study from Harvard and we can aim for about 35 minutes a day of exercise and that on average will offset your genetic risk of depression yeah but we also know that even sessions as short as 10 to 15 minutes um, should improve your mood well-being reduce your feelings of depression and anxiety so basically any any exercise you do will be great yeah it's all good (laughs) (laughs) but ultimately with exercise for mental health it all comes down to what type and amount of activity you can sustain over time so as long as you are enjoying it and are realistic with your expectations about it, that will be the best for you. Yeah. And so I think it's really important then just to think about what exercise you enjoy the most or perhaps dislike the least. Um, And also thinking about ways that you can make it more bearable for yourself in that sense. So perhaps doing it with a friend, coming back to this idea of social connection and and meeting up with others, Mm -hmm. perhaps that might even help hold you accountable. I know that if I organise to do something with someone, then I won't want to cancel. And so, you know, I'm more likely to do it. Or even making it part of your commute, for example. So just trying to build that into your routine somehow, you know, you're more likely to stick to it in that case. So yeah, a good thing to do. Okay. So to wrap up, when we talk about exercise for mental health benefits, a little bit is better than nothing. And any type of tool is better than not exercising at all. So when you do do exercise, give yourself credit for it. And knowing what you know now from this episode, 
it will make you feel even better. Yeah, absolutely. So that is it for our very first episode. All done. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. If you are getting brighter from this podcast, then make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Once you're there, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review of anywhere up to five stars. If you have any feedback, questions or suggestions for future episodes, or you're just nosy and want to put faces to the names, you can find us on Twitter, threads and Instagram at GetBrighterPod. And if you're a bit more old school, we also check our emails at GetBrighterPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you've got to say and discuss with you a bit further. We'd like to thank the Southwest Doctoral Training Partnership for supporting this podcast. And to finish off with our disclaimer. The Getting Brighter podcast is separate from our research and teaching roles at our respective universities. However, it is part of our shared passion for communicating science in an accessible and enjoyable way. Any advice given does not consider your unique individual circumstances and we encourage you to seek professional guidance before making any significant lifestyle changes. Thanks everyone and bye. bye. See you next time.